All right, well, good morning, good morning, good morning. I, uh, <clears throat> what you witnessed, if you are a visitor, what you just witnessed was, a, uh, was not a New Covenant promotional video. Um, that was a Reflections video that we do at the turn of every year, just to look back on the things that the Lord has done and the things that we were involved in, in previous years. And uh, so it takes a lot of effort, um, especially on Michelle's part, to put it all together. And, um, but uh, just looking at it, just so thankful, just thinking through all the different a- uh, aspects of what we were involved in last year, from evangelism to VBS to just our groups where we're just being together, um, just in hospitality, um, our Bible studies, our prayer groups, um, all those th- kinds of things, just really doing life together, too. And so... I just kept thinking as I was watching the video of just the reality of family. That's really what it is, isn't it? I mean, we're not a, we're not a, uh, a corporation, are we? Uh, we're a family. And, and that's really what came through, I think, comes through every year when we put it together, just to see um, what God has done amongst us and knitting us together and giving us a mission and a purpose together. So just so thankful for that. And thank you, Michelle, for doing all that. It's a lot of work. All right. <clears throat> I also want to mention just something this week before I start to um, the preaching. As far as fasting, um, I'm not going to ask a show of hands to understand who's fasted and who hasn't fasted before. But for some of you who have not been here very long, um, we do take um, a week out of each quarter to devote to prayer and fasting. And we certainly don't want to lay down any hard rules about how frequent or how long or those kinds of things. Um, but we do encourage you to do it. It's a New Testament expectation, and um, it's, a, it's a discipleship expectation, and there are reasons for that. And it's a tool that God has given the church to renew their vision of who He is, to renew our longing for Christ, and to really intensely ask God to do things in us and through us. That's really the purpose of fasting. Um, it's, it's, a, it's an intense way of asking God to do what only He can do. And, um, and so there's some mystery to it, isn't there? There's some mystery to prayer, frankly, isn't there? But the reality is we know that, that God blesses it, and He rewards those who fast um, in secret. So please, please do that if you can this week. I know sickness has been going around, so obviously this is not a, a way to earn righteousness before God. Um, but it is a way to participate in the work of God here if you can. And so please... Please be encouraged to do that. And what Matt was mentioning on the realm is we typically, as leaders and, and others, they post encouraging verses to think through, items to pray for uh, day by day um, as we go through the week together. And posting some encouraging songs. I know for me, when the last thing I want to do is miss another meal, is I will sing or listen to worship music or something like that that lifts me up out of myself and my hunger uh, to remember to remember the Lord, and oftentimes He just he, uh, he satisfies me and holds me over for, for yet another one or something like that. So music is just so powerful, isn't it, um, to, to, to lift our heads and our spirits. So that's why we, we start those threads of, of worship music. Please do that. I just want to encourage you. It, it seems to be the same three or four people every time. Like we expect it from Marty, right? We expect it from a few others. If we don't expect it from you, be that person this time that posts these songs, that engages and, and, and interacts with us in these things. We are in this together, all of us together, aren't we? 
This is not about three or four people. This is about us all together. And I know that if you haven't posted it, it doesn't mean that you haven't been participating. But what I'm saying is it's so encouraging to hear from you all. It's very, very encouraging. So please, please post if you can. Um, we can use these, this, this social media medium like Realm to encourage the saints. You know, don't write it off as some, oh, well, that's just, you know, technology. That's something that can encourage the saints. Just don't forget that and don't despise that, please. So, um, that being said, just please, please participate if you can, if you're able. And also, just keep in mind people that are sick, that are still sick, Steve and Gwen, still um, getting over COVID. And um, Steve's got um, a procedure tomorrow. Um, I don't think it's too intense or anything, but something to just keep him in mind and prayer for as well. And I know that there are probably other families that are still sick too. I'm still up and down, in and out. Really just don't feel that bad. Just sinuses as you might be able to pick up on. So, all right. Um, So, covered those things. If you can, can, um, Marty, can you turn those lights up so we all don't fall asleep? Turn to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. First Peter chapter 2, and we will read, starting in verse 7. Actually, let's start back up in verse 4. Peter writing to the Christians scattered around Asia. And coming to him, that is, in coming to Jesus, as to a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God, You also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. This precious value, then, is for you who believe. But for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word, and to this they were also appointed. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So let's pray together. <clears throat> Father, as we have this brief time before your word, I pray, Father, that you would please use it to stir us up. Remind us who we are in Christ. Remind us what you've done for us in Christ. Remind us of how we are um, uh, privileged beyond measure at this point in human history. Um, Lord, you have turned your gaze from a single nation to the ends of the earth. And Lord, we are the product of that. Um, Lord, at one time you were primarily dealing with one nation and now you're dealing with um, all nations. 
And Lord, we are a product of that. Through the gospel, Lord, we have come to know you. We have become your very own people. We have become your treasured possession. Um, We are your elect race. We are a holy nation. And Lord, all these things, we just pray you'd help us to grow in our sense of day by day, and especially now this morning as we look into it a little deeper. And so, Lord, just please be pleased to be with us. Lord, we think of all those who are at home. Uh, We thank you for all our brothers and sisters at home that are sick or otherwise. And Father, we pray that you'd please draw near to them by your Spirit. Speak to them from your Word and and remind them of who they are in Christ as well. Maybe they don't feel that way, but that's why you give us your Word, so that we will believe what is true, not necessarily how we feel. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, 1 Peter chapter 2. Now the last time we were together, I just chose to spend our time at the end of verse 5, looking at three words. Who remembers what they are? Through Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ is what we looked at. And um, I hope that that was encouraging to you. Um, That whole phrase there, through Jesus Christ or through Him or something like that, is mentioned throughout the New Testament over and over and over. Because the reality is, as Jesus told us, apart from him, we can do nothing. Apart from him, we are nothing, right? Except sinners facing an almighty God on our own. But with Jesus Christ and his mediatorial work, we now are accepted before God. We're reconciled to him. We now have access to God every day. And we now can offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And so every act of faith now you do... If it's genuinely an act of faith, and you're, you know, you're not just living with rampant sin in your life, but if you are living for the Lord and you're, you're, you're giving your time, your energy, your money in faith to the Lord, well, these sacrifices, even though they're imperfect, are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And that's a huge encouragement. And that's what Peter wants his readers to remember, is that through Jesus Christ, we are made acceptable to God, and all of our acts of faith are as well. Okay, now... I'm going to do something maybe a little different, um, but verses 6, 7, and 8 I covered last year. Um, And and I did that because I went into the Old Testament background of this whole imagery of stone. We looked at that for a long time, and so I'm going to basically jump from 6 down to the end of 8 into 9 this morning, okay? Um, But but if you want to get refreshed on that, you can listen back at um, at the recordings um, that I did on those verses, looking back into Isaiah and the Psalms where these, these verses were mentioned. And, um, and the reason I did that is because I wanted to build a foundation from which you could understand that Peter is deriving all of his instruction based on Old Testament passages. And he encourages and instructs the Christians here in Asia uh, based on those passages. And so I tried to acquaint us with that Old Testament context and content. So... Um, so, but we're going to be looking primarily at verse 9. Now look down at verse 9. And you'll notice Peter begins with a transitional word. But you are a chosen race. Now, Peter has just been saying that there are those who are disobedient to the word of the gospel. Look back up in verse 8, right? That Jesus is a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and they stumble because they are disobedient to the word. 
And to this, they were also appointed. Okay, so Peter, he's got in mind that there are two types of people in the world, right? There are those for whom Jesus Christ is precious, and there are those for whom Jesus Christ is an annoyance, and an obstacle to the way they truly want to live. This is the main point here in Peter's, Peter's message. You've got people stumbling over Christ, wanting to kick him out of the way, and then you've got those who embrace him as Lord and God, and Savior and King and, and Cornerstone. Two types of people in the world. And Peter highlights here in verse 8 that group of people that stumble over Jesus because they hate him. And Peter says here they stumble because they are disobedient to the word. They are willfully disobedient to Jesus Christ. But he also says, but this disobedience is actually under God's sovereign purpose. And that's what he says. And to this, they were also appointed. Well, appointed by who? Well, by God. Even the disobedience of the wicked is under the sovereign reign, rule, and plan of God. That's what this text means. These people are willfully disobedient, but God is also silently in some ways, secretly sovereign over this disobedience and wickedness. They willfully see Jesus as a stumbling block. They live self-willed lives, wanting their own way rather than the Lord's. And Peter says, and to this they were also appointed. So it's, it's gripping, isn't it? But in the end, can it really be any other way? <laughs> Do we have a God that is merely just someone who reacts to all of our free will decisions? I mean, if that were true, could you really entrust your whole life to him? Could you entrust human history to him? Well, of course not. Don't get too caught up in, oh, well, that means we're robots and all that, because the Bible doesn't hold that out either. But the reality is, as the book of Proverbs says, that even the wicked, God has designed for his purposes. So just understand that. And yet that does not alleviate their responsibility one bit to obey the gospel. They are disobedient, Peter, Peter says, to the word. They still stumble willfully over Jesus Christ. They want him out of the way. And yet God is still sovereign over that. It's a terrifying reality that there are people that hate Jesus Christ. And that was all of us in this room before we knew Jesus. It's not some class of people out there somewhere, right? Look at yourself. And that used to be you. It used to be me. I used to be a mocker. I used to sit at a little Baptist church over in Simpsonville, and I used to mock preachers until something happened, right? Until God came into my life and filled me with His Spirit and revealed to me that I was one of His. And this is where Peter goes. You've got these people that stumble over Jesus Christ, disobedient to the Word, but you, Peter says, are a chosen race. See, transitions. But you are a chosen race. Now this is an amazing transition. Because the reality is we know from the Gospels that the way most people are on is broad. Isn't that right? Most people in this world are not 
Christians. Jesus said, the way is narrow and hard that leads to life, and few there be that find it. Many are called, but few are chosen. This whole idea of few, there's few. We're rare, relatively speaking, aren't we? We're rare. Christians, real Christians are rare. And why is that? Is it because, well, I mean, we're just an elite group in terms of our intellectual capacity? Well, no, Peter tells us here that it's rooted in what? It's rooted in election, isn't it? But let's look at this a little bit more. He says, but you are a chosen race. Contrary to those who disbelieve and appointed to destruction, we are the elect of God. These people that Peter is now talking about are his readers. And these readers are not disobedient to the word. These readers are not appointed for destruction. You in this room who are in Jesus Christ are not appointed for wrath. I mean, it doesn't get a whole lot better than that. The only reason it's better is because not only do we not get that, but we have God, right? But the reality is you're not appointed to destruction. Peter's readers, from the youngest to the old, are not a disobedient people. They are an obedient people. Not perfect, but, but they're obedient. They're an elect race. Now the verse itself, you look down in your Bible, and you can tell that the words are capitalized, a lot of them. And most of you know what that means. It means there's Old Testament background to it. So again, if you look down at verse 9, it says, But you are in a, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, <clears throat> so that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. Now, what I want us to look at just for a second is the Old Testament background. And you don't have to turn there. I'll just describe it for you briefly. Now, these, these, these terms here in verse 9 are taken from Exodus 19. Steve spent a lot of time on that, which is, did a masterful job. And that's why I'm not going, going to go through very much detail, but I will mention it because it's right here in our text, and it is the background for Peter's statement. It's drawn from Exodus 19 and probably Isaiah 43. These terms and adjectives, chosen race, royal priesthood, holy nation, people for God's own possession, these were all used of ethnic Israel when the Lord brought them out of Egypt to himself. Remember remember the, the, the promise he gave when he made the covenant with Abram? Abram went asleep, and God made this promise that Abraham's descendants would be oppressed and that, that, that God would deliver them from that oppression and that they would come out with many possessions. Right? Abram didn't realize all of what that was about, but the reality is God made this promise. Well, when God delivered Israel from Egypt, he fulfilled that promise and then he brought him brought the people to himself led through led by Moses and brought them now to the mount where God now was instructing the people through Moses and here's what God through Moses tells the people after God delivers them from Egypt brings them to himself to the mount where he's about to give them his law he says Moses tell this to the people 
You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the sons of Israel. Now this is almost 1,500 years before Peter's day, right? But these very words, basically, Peter takes and applies to these these readers in Peter's day scattered around Asia, these exiles. But this text in Exodus 19 is pivotal, and, 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 and Steve has made that so, so clear. God, through Moses, tell, tells these people these amazing realities that they can be a royal priesthood. They can be a kingdom of priests. They can be a holy nation. They can be His treasured possession if they'll obey His voice. So just a few things I want to take away from that text in Exodus 19. The first thing is, the redemption happened by God's power, right? He said, you saw what I did to the Egyptians. You saw that. I want you to remember that. You saw what I did to the Egyptians. You saw how I bore you on eagle's wings. Right? It's like God says, as you reflect back on that whole scenario of me, plague after plague, and and demonstration of power after demonstration of power, you remember how I bore you on eagle's wings. Then I brought you through the Red Sea and brought you to myself. You remember all that. You remember I bore you on eagle's wings. You were spectators in all of it. Remember, you're sort of floating along. Your contribution wasn't very much. You were just present. You remember how I did it. This was my decision. This This is something I did from my love, from my heart, for you, an oppressed people, to bring you out. On eagle's wings. This has nothing to do with their superior wisdom strength. They're not a superior race. This redemption is based on the Lord's sovereign mercy and power. That's one thing God wants them to know. The other thing is just the terms themselves. <laughs> These are the most, terms, the most precious terms that can be given to human beings. Chosen race, holy nation, kingdom of priests, God's own possession. See, these were the identity markers that the children of Israel were to live out with gratitude and faith. Right? They were to, they were to realize, what, what do you mean? I'm a priest to God? I have access to the living God, to the eternal, self-existent God of the universe? They were the most privileged people on the planet, even though they were in a wilderness. It doesn't really matter where you are circumstantially if you know God. Is that right? It doesn't, it doesn't matter if you know God. You can be in a jail cell with members of ISIS in Sudan and still have a far more privileged place, place there than sitting like a king in the Oval Office. Is that right? Why is that? Well, because God is your God. And that's what God wanted the children of Israel to know. But to, to them, though, unfortunately, as we see, God is still not precious to them. But these terms that God gives them was to reiterate who they were to be. These identity markers. Treasured possession. Holy nation. 
They were brought into covenant with the living God. They had access to God. They had God's authority and power. I mean, let, come on, you know, let's go into battle. You saw what I did to the Egyptians. Right? These were the most privileged people on the planet. But they did not live out this identity. And this is the other point. The Lord says in that text in Exodus 19 that the full reality of these identity markers would only be realized if they obeyed. If you will obey my voice, then these things will be true. And did they obey? No, they didn't. The whole of the Old Testament is the drama of God's patience and his judgment on Israel, isn't it? That the whole thing is just this back and forth and back and forth and back and forth of God's patience and his judgment. Over and over. Over and over, God would spare them and have mercy on them. But then there came a time where the Lord was done. Even in the book of Hosea, he basically tells them this, that you are not my people. The book of Jeremiah, what does he do? He says, I'm going to establish a new covenant. Doesn't he? The book of Jeremiah says, I'm going to write a certificate of divorce. When Jesus is teaching in his ministry, he says in chapter after chapter, especially in Matthew's gospel, that he is turning away from the Jewish people, ethnically speaking, as a concentrated group with which he is in covenant to a people who's going to produce the fruit of the kingdom. No longer is God's focal point going to be the ethnic Jews. Ethnic Jews have no special place in God's heart unless they're elect now. But we saw this in the Old Testament. This was already foreshadowed in the Old Testament. It was already prophesied in the Old Testament. God says, I'm going to make a new covenant. I'm going to make a new covenant with the house of Israel. And this new covenant will not be like the old. It will be similar in that God says, I'll still have a people. Right? It will be similar in that there will still be priests in this covenant. It will be similar in that there will be a holy nation in this covenant. But the difference is that the reality of these identity markers will actually be lived out. As John Reisinger always said, this covenant has batteries included. This covenant has supply and power and God's own inward work in each one of our hearts to make us not only priests in, in identity, but also in reality, in our behavior, in our devotional life. The Old Covenant is based on if you will. The New Covenant is based on I will, God says. Not diminishing the true reality of obedience under the New Covenant, but the effectiveness of the New Covenant will be finally and decisively based in God's power alone, working in the hearts of sinners so that they will love and obey Him. Brethren, you and me 
are the ones who truly do fulfill Exodus 19. They did not. You are. Think of that. You're all gathered around the mountain. No longer Sinai, but Mount Zion. And now you're God's people. And God has so worked in your hearts that Him saying that you're a holy nation and a kingdom of priests is not just lip service from the Lord. It's actually a reality. You are people that really love God. You are the true Israel of God. You are the ones not waiting to see if you're going to become a holy nation or a royal priesthood. Those realities are yours now. That's why Peter uses the present tense here. You are a chosen race. Not if you obey, you will be. You are a chosen race. You are a holy nation. You are a royal priesthood now. God has made you holy now. God has brought you to Himself now. You are His people. God's forgiven you fully in Jesus. These these terms are not theoretical. They're not hypothetical. They are fact. They are fact. You are the Lord's. You are now presently these things. You are not waiting And you must put these identity markers over your life today and every day. Theologians, Bible commentators make a lot out of the indicative and the imperative. You know, we're always obeying out of the indicative. Indicative just meaning that, that which is. That which is reality. And that's all. It's very true. Um, And it's so important that you realize this pattern in the New Testament and really in the Old that you behave out of who you are now you behave out of who you are right who are you you're a priest or a priestess in covenant with God who are you you are holy who are you you are elect You're an elect race. That's who you are. And as you remember that, you shake off those doubts. You shake off that sense of being forgotten. You shake all that off. You shake off this sense that God has forgotten you or that God is distant from you. And you remember, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm a priest. I can walk right in now to the Holy of Holies. So you remember that. You've got to remember that. Your identity is so important for your own, for your own just lives day by day. That's why Paul prays in Ephesians that you might, that your eyes of your heart might know what you have, not what you can have, but what you already have. Man, that is just so important. And, and you really need to come to grips with that. Peter, over and over, just wants you to know who you are. This is who you are. So who are you? You're a chosen race. You, plural. You're a chosen race. Christianity is not a private religion. Drives me crazy when people say, well, I don't have to be a 
go to church to be a Christian. I'm like, listen, well, that, that's true, technically speaking, okay? But if you love Jesus, you will love what he loves. And what does he love? The church, right? So if you love Jesus, you'll be with those whom he loves. And I know that there are other churches out there that, that aren't teaching this and that, but don't use that as an excuse. The reality is, when you become a Christian, you are born again into a family, and if you don't want to be with this family, then it probably means you're of a different stock. If you want to find real Christians, you can find them. That's just a bunch of mumbo-jumbo, especially here in the South. It's ridiculous. But together, we are a chosen race. Peter says, all of you scattered throughout Asia. You're scattered, but you're united in Jesus. So you, you are a chosen race. This whole aspect of chosen or elect. So old translations use the word elect, which is probably better. Drives the point home. He says, but you are a chosen race. The reason these Christians are not among the disobedient and perishing is not because, like I've already said, they're wiser than others, smarter than others, more righteous than others. It's not because of any of those things. It's not because their parents were Christians. It's not because they got baptized. It's not because of any of that. It's based in God's election. That's what he says. You're an elect race. You're not like the disobedient to the word. You're an elect race. God has made a choice. That's what election means. We don't have a problem to know what election means when it comes to election times, but when it comes to biblical election, people lose their minds. All of a sudden, we don't know what it means anymore. What does it mean? Well, it means the same thing. It means to choose some to the exclusion of others. That's what it means. And it is the glory of the church. In Isaiah 43.20, which is where Peter probably gets this phrase, He's talking about where God is going to make a new exodus for his people. We don't have time to look there. And he gives all these glorious realities of what God is going to do one day. The day you and I live in because of the cross. But in, in um, Old Testament imagery, he says this, Isaiah 43, 20. The beasts of the field will glorify me in that day. The jackals and ostriches, because I have given waters in the wilderness and rivers in the desert to give drink to my chosen people. The people whom I have formed for myself will declare my praise. You can't get any more clear. The people I have chosen for myself to declare my praise. My chosen people. Why are you a Christian? You're a Christian to declare His praise. You're a Christian for God. Not even for yourself. You're for Him. The whole context of Isaiah 43, again, I wish we had time to look at that, but it's, it's all rooted in this reality of what God will do. I will do this. I will do this. I will do this. I will make a way in the wilderness. I am the creator. I'll do, I'm the one who destroys horse and rider. I will bring about something new.
Again, the, the concept, the term itself is not hard. The word itself means to select. <laughs> now when I say this, immediately people are going to think, how can you say God chooses some people to salvation and not others? Well, first I say, because it's what the Scriptures teach so plainly. And if you've been a believer for any amount of time, you're sort of over your own opinion about how things ought to be. Don't, don't you get that way? The, the more you grow in Christ, the more you see, you know what, God's Word really is God's Word. My opinion means basically nothing. If you're not at that place, I just pray you continue to grow into that reality. If God says it, it's true, right, beautiful, wonderful, and wise. And I really mean that. You get to the point to where you just realize there are mysteries in the world, and I'm okay with that. One thing that is not a mystery is that if you're in Christ, you were chosen to be. That's plain as day in the text, isn't it? It's in the Scriptures. You know, in some ways, the doctrine of election tests your own fidelity to the authority of the Bible. It does, doesn't it? Am I really... Does it really say that? Well, I'm going to submit myself to what it says and not try to twist and distort it to make it say what I want it to say. I'm not saying it's always easy and that process is easy. Please don't hear me say that. What I am saying is that you need to have a posture that you're before the living Word of God. (laughs) And if He's spoken, you need to listen. And I need to listen. The grammar in the New Testament is so simple. Listen to Paul very carefully here. Ephesians 1, 3. Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world. Who is the subject? God. Just as He, God, chose us, what is the action? Election. Who are the subjects or recipients? Us. What is the location? In Christ. And when did it happen? Before the foundation of the world. The grammar is very simple. The concept is not hard logically, grammatically. It's hard for people philosophically and ethically. In other words, people think it's not fair. I mean, that's just the bottom line, isn't it? It's just, it just, this cannot mean this. They think God's unconditional election of some to salvation while other, others perish in hell is unfair. Well, it's like I tell my kids all the time, let's think through what is fair. Right? And you have to tell your kids this like every other day. What is fair? Because everything's not fair to a kid, you know. 
What is fair? Fair fundamentally is being treated like you deserve, right? Treated like you've earned, right? That's fair. Fair is you make $10 an hour, you work for eight hours, you get paid $80. That's fair, okay? Now, if I have one more stick of gum in my pocket and one of my kids happens to see that and ask me for gum and I give it to them, all the others who then see that, what do they say? That's not fair, right? That's what they say. That's what kids say. I probably said it. But then it's time to give them a lesson. How many of you guys worked for that gum? Oh, well. None of us. How many of you guys even knew I had the gum? Oh, well, none of us. I just happened to give an extra stick to one of my kids, and all of a sudden it's an issue of justice. Let's say I gave the stick of gum to Millie. What is Millie getting? Millie is not getting a wage, right? What's she getting? She's getting a gift. Right? That piece of gum is a gift to her. Gifts are not given on the basis of justice. They're on the basis of grace and kindness. Now, that's a silly, casual illustration. But when we're talking about human beings now, we're talking about humanity, we are in a far worse situation when thinking about the issue of God's salvation. Not only did they not do they not deserve God's salvation in Christ? But what they deserve is his just punishment for their sin. You know, oftentimes you hear people say, man, I don't deserve anything from God. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. Human beings are corrupt from the womb. They come forth speaking lies from birth, as David says. We practice sin our whole lives. We're rebels. Our whole lives specifically bent toward self-seeking, not God-seeking. It's so clear, isn't it? From just the earliest ages, we're so bent. Self-seeking versus God-seeking. We have earned death. That's what we are owed. Some of you are probably thinking Romans, right? 6.23. The wages of sin is what? Wages. That's what you earn. You earn eternal death. If God treats you fair, you get what? Death. Eternal death. Now, it's not physical death only. That's eternal death because all people die. You get eternal death. That's what you earn. You think that about yourself? If God gave you what's fair and right, He gives you a lake of fire. And when they're there, like the book of Revelation says, and God's wrath comes upon the wicked, what are the saints and the angels singing? True and righteous are your judgments, O Lord. Isn't that what they're saying? One day we're going to see how wicked the wicked really are. 
Have you ever been in that situation where, you know, someone's like, you're driving down the road, and someone's driving like a, not a good driver, and, uh, and they cut somebody off, and all of a sudden, you see a police car go, and you get them, and you're like, yes. That whole experience right there, magnify that times 10 trillion in the day of judgment. Where you're going to see justice carried out, and it'll be a good thing. And the reality is, you and me all deserve to be there. We all deserve to be there. We all deserve to, to have people cheering at, at our situation of God judging us because of our sin. This is fair. I wonder if you really believe that. You want to increase in your love for the Lord? Be convinced of this. Don't be convinced of it because I'm telling you this. Be convinced of this because it's reality and because it's biblical. Be convinced of that. The more you grasp this reality of what you were. This is why Paul brings it up in Ephesians 2. Paul, why do you even bring up who we were? Man, we don't want to focus on the negative. Paul says, hey, look, I want your, I want your love for Christ to increase. So I'm going to talk about the fact that you were dead in sin. Right? You were children of wrath. You were walking according to Satan's course. All these things. Why? So that it increases and enhances and you remember who you were before you knew him. And the scriptures teach that no one seeks for God. So it's not as, it's not as, if, it's not as if anyone wants the Lord anyway. You know, what I'm saying is, it's strange how the world is offended at God sending people to hell when they don't want to be with Him anyway. Oh, I didn't know you cared so much. Well, and they don't, do they? Just another excuse. Just another excuse. So the upshot here is a sin-sick, rebellious humanity who does not want God deserve and deserve His wrath. But God, in His rich mercy, makes a choice. From love. He makes a choice to save some. He's not, a, he's not obligated to save any, is He? But because He is merciful, He rescues some from their rebellion. This is breathtaking. When is the last time you thought about the fact that if God didn't save you, you would not be saved? Or to put a finer point on it, if God didn't choose you, you would not be saved. Right? We should be so humble that we've been created for mercy. In my own salvation, I never had really had an issue with the doctrine of election. I knew that if it was based upon me to come to God, I would never come. Right? I mean, that just wasn't hard for me to see that he pursued me until I was, you know, a pile of uh, rubble, you know. Some, for some of you, maybe it didn't look like that, but I didn't have an issue with it because I saw, yeah, if God doesn't come save, I'm toast. So what I want to leave you with is that your identity is a result of God's gracious, electing love. And don't get too sidetracked in the philosophical difficulties that you think election has. Just worship the Lord that he chose you 
from love for himself. Trust the scriptures on this. The doctrine does not erase human responsibility. It's another topic. This doctrine does not erase prayer and the urgency of the gospel. This doctrine gives assurance and stability and humility to those who know they deserve only his judgment. And we'll stop there. Chosen race. That's who you are if you're in Christ. It's amazing. And God made this decision before the foundation of the world, if you know him. And, um, and Peter, Peter is going to move more into this, what we do here in a minute when he talks about proclaiming his, his excellencies. But first, it's good to just bask in that reality. And the fact that you're the elect of God, you know, I was listening to a little podcast earlier where apparently this issue of calling yourself the chosen people is a big deal <clears throat> out there. Um, it's talked about in racial discussions um, where there are certain um, communities. Uh, the Hebrew Israelites, for instance, feel like that they're the chosen people of God, um, the, the, uh, the African race. And then you have the Jews that still hold on to them being the chosen people of God. And, and Peter says, no, it's, it's neither of those things, right? You're the chosen people of God if you're united to Jesus Christ. That's who you are. But this is a big deal. People are going to think if you talk like that, that you're going to be arrogant, right? And so you just tell them what I just said, which was, listen, (laughs) this wasn't based on anything I did. This was based in God's sovereign freedom and mercy. He didn't owe me anything except for justice. And I don't get justice. I get a gift. I get a gift of eternal life with his son and a a family of believers that that I belong to as well. And that's... It's, it's a glory. And, um, and if, you, if you know yourself well enough, you know that has to be true. <laughs> because if it's not true, you'll perish along with the world. Because we're weak in and of ourselves, aren't we? But if God has ever loved you, He loves you now. And He loves you forever. So let's pray. Father, thank You for this reality. I pray that it would encourage the saints and um, it would strengthen their hearts to remember who they are. And, and Lord, that as we do, we don't just sit there and bask in it per se only, but Lord, that we would just take this reality that, um, Lord, that you are saving people and that you are, you are working in the hearts of people. And Lord, the second coming hasn't happened yet. There are still sheep scattered all over this world. You still have your people that, that, that you are saving from their sin. And Lord, help us to be a part of that. Thank you for your mercy in each one of our lives. And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.